Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for a Lord's Day, a new day, a new week, a new opportunity to come together to renew our commitment to you and to grow and mature, uh, to serve you and to serve one another. We pray your blessings now as we think about our life in this community and ask that you would bless us and to help us to think more deeply and to make uh, progress in this aspect of your calling of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about, uh, as, as prepare this fourth lesson on life in our community, that what the Bible does, it does a lot of things, but it reproves, rebukes, exhorts, it encourages, it instructs, it, it does a lot of things, and it does it simultaneously. So if the Word of God comes to a hundred people, uh, it, it, it comes because it's the living Word, and, it, and it's delivered by the Holy Spirit, that it has an impact on each of those in a slightly different way. And some of that has to do with where we're at in our spiritual walk. Am I being obedient? Am I being disobedient? Uh, am I mature or immature? Have I thought about this before or not thought about this before? So is this something that I need to be rebuked about because I know better? Or is this something I need to be instructed about because I, I'm ignorant and I didn't know that that's what I was supposed to be doing? So we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today, and I want you to remember that. So some of the things that we'll read from the Word of God should encourage you, should exhort you, should motivate you and push you a little further and, and, and lift you up. Other things may uh, convict you. You may say, oh, that, that stung. I'm not doing what the Bible says to do, and I need to be. That's good. That's that's part of the work of the Spirit and, and part of the work of God's Word all the time. And it changes. That's the other thing is it doesn't change, but we do. It's the unchanging Word, but we are the changing people. So one time I hear a passage, and because of my circumstances, it's a rebuke. And perhaps the next time I hear it, it's actually an encouragement. It's an exhortation. It's a... It lifts me up. Instead of uh, wounding me, it heals me. Same word. I'm the one that changed. Uh, my circumstances changed. So keep that in mind. So today I want to talk about life, at least the first part of this lesson, life in our community and the problem of apathy. And it's a problem for almost all of us, if not all of us. I want to begin with a few quotes. John Owen, Puritan John Owen said, uh, I will not judge a person to be spiritually dead whom I have judged formerly to have had spiritual life, though I see him at present in a swoon uh, as, as to all evidence of the spiritual life. And the reason why I will not judge him so is this, because if you judge a person dead, you neglect him, you leave him. But if you judge him in a swoon, though never so dangerous, you shall use all means for the retrieving of his life. So we're to help one another. When we see one another dragging or not doing the things that we need to be doing, we're called to come alongside and help one another, encourage one another, lift one another up. Uh, Thomas Aquinas said the highest aim of a, if the highest aim of a captain 
were to just preserve to preserve his ship, then he would keep it in the port forever. Well, so in other words, we're not to keep ourselves in the port. Uh, we're to get out there. We're to get engaged. We're to be involved and to do things, and that's risky. Uh, and John Stott said, apathy is the acceptance of the unacceptable. So, with that said, one of, one of the greatest sins in the Bible uh, uh, for God's people is the sin of apathy toward God and the things of God. And one of the primary things of God is His church, the communion of His people. Jesus loves his bride, and gives himself for his bride. Uh, So how could we, his bride, not give ourselves completely to him? He lays down his life for us, and now our response should be that we lay down our lives as well. And so I want to start this lesson this morning with a lot of Scripture. Uh, Why are there so many warnings in the Bible about this? The Holy Scriptures, we're told by Apostle Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, are able to make you wise unto salvation. And so, um, if his word, we're told in the parable of the soils, falls on thorny soil or rocky ground, then it won't bear fruit. And it's interesting that um, uh, the Scriptures tell us that uh, the difference in where the, the seed falls and the fruit that's born has to do, again, with the soil. And the Gospels tell us that the, the seed that fell on the good soil, those were, those were those who had good and noble hearts. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, now that's a strange way of putting it. Who has a good and noble heart? Well, Jesus is talking in the context of God's covenant people, and I would like to suggest those who've had their hearts cultivated by their families, their church, the Word of God. So in other words, there's a receptive heart. We've gotten the the thorns and the thistles and the rocks out of the way so that that Word can uh, take root and bear fruit. As Jesus says, uh, often says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many of you have ears? How many of you have ears to hear, to truly hear? we, We get the point of what Jesus is saying, right? Uh, so in John 8, 31 and 32, then Jesus said to, the, to those Jews who believed him, if you abide, uh, or take up residence, if you will, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So abiding in the word, having the word take root in us, Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, beware, and when the Bible says beware, Really stop and pay attention. There's a threat. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How do you depart from God? One step at a time, usually. You don't just jump up. One day you love the Lord and everything's great, and then you just run and jump over the cliff. No, you depart a little at a time. Start slacking off, neglecting your duties, neglecting the church, 
neglecting fellowship, neglecting the word, neglecting prayer, the list. We'll, we'll talk further about some of those things in a moment. And he says the answer is for us to exhort one another daily, and there's only one, one way that can happen, is, and that's for us to be together, to not be isolated. After Isaiah saw God sitting on his throne and the angels crying, Holy, 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 and after he perceived not only God's holiness, but his own sinfulness, and after God purged his sins, we read this, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. And so now God's going to send Isaiah the prophet to speak to his people who have left the Lord, who have fallen off, who have become apathetic about the things of the Lord. And he said, go tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. We see this kind of thing in Romans chapter 1, where God basically says, you persist in neglecting what I've given you, then I'm going to, at some point, give you over to it. Go ahead. Have what you're asking for. Let's see how that works out. It's a form of judgment. John Owen, Puritan John Owen, again, the most tremendous judgment of God in this world is the hardening of men's hearts. You see, you can come to church week after week, year after year, and you can sit through hundreds of Bible studies and hear hundreds of sermons and still miss the point. Another Puritan, Thomas Watson, take heed of drowsiness in hearing. Drowsiness shows much irreverence. How lively are many when they are about in the world, but in the worship of God, how drowsy. In the preaching of the word, is not the bread of life broken to you, and will a man fall asleep at his food? Which is worse, to stay away from a sermon or to sleep at a sermon? So God is not after an audience uh, to entertain. He's not needy in that way. Titus 2, 13-14, Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, and here's the key word, zealous of good works. Not apathetic, not ho-hum, not whatever, zealous to be engaged in the work of the kingdom. Ezekiel 33, uh, as God speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, uh, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Come to church. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gain. Indeed, 
you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. So there's a warning God's given to his people. It's not enough to be present. Uh, It is essential to be participating, to be engaged. Again, more more scripture here, lots of them. Haggai 1, 7 through 9, thus says, Yahweh of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. So the church, in this case, we carry this over. Is, is in many places in our country, and, and I'd say this, to the degree that you or I neglect what we're called to do or, or are apathetic toward it, we are contributing to the decline, the decay, the, uh, the destruction, if you will, of the church. And that's what God is speaking about here is you're taking care of your stuff, you're taking care of your ambitions and your, your house and your finances and you're all the things you want to do, and while you're doing that, you're neglecting me, and you've forgotten what it is I've done for you. Proverbs fifteen nineteen: The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. Proverbs twenty four, thirty three through thirty four. You know this: a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. It's a warning that when you grow apathetic, when you grow ho-hum and indifferent, it, there's going to be a, there are going to be consequences to that. Uh, in Jeremiah 4, uh, um, God speaking to Jeremiah about people, he says, though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. Oh, well, they got the vocabulary. They know what to say. But, but God says the problem is they don't mean it. It's not sincere. It's not deep. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, boy, this is one that really hits to the heart of this issue of apathy and one I feel the sting of. And let us... Not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart, if we don't become apathetic. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and this really hits home in terms of our topic here, life in our communion, our community. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. So that's the opposite of apathy getting engaged, doing good to those who are in the household of faith, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews 5.11, certain things are, uh, the the author of Hebrews complains, certain things are hard for me to explain to you because you have become dull of hearing. And he goes on to say, by now you ought to be teachers, you ought to be further along than you are, but now I'm going to have to stop and give you a 
kindergarten lesson. Revelation 3, 2, and then verse 15 and 16. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God or mature. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's from pretty strong words from Jesus. Revelation, excuse me, uh, Romans uh, 12, 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Those are not suggestions. Two more. Joshua 24, you'll be familiar with at least part of this, verses 14 and 15. Long verses here. Now, therefore, fear Jehovah, serve him in sincerity and in truth, sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. So, of course, we have a different set of gods that are out there calling our names and tempting us. He says here, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord seems like a bad idea, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If if that's so attractive, then go serve them. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Emphatically, clearly, without question. And then finally, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Putting on the armor of God and And, of course, we can read that passage and see what all those different pieces of armor are, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit and so forth. That's what we do in the context of the community of God's people. That's what enables us to stand, to fight, to to resist. Apathy doesn't do that. Apathy doesn't put on armor. It's too much work. I'll be fine here. I'll just have a seat. What are some of the signs of spiritual apathy within or toward our community? I just made a list. Obviously, they're not all equal. But as I said, we don't leave the Lord by, you know, we don't go from being 
uh, zealous for the Lord to apathetic toward the Lord overnight. We do it by degrees, step by step. We slip into it. We grow weary. Coming late, not coming at all, not engaged in worship. Our minds are elsewhere. We're thinking about other things. We're fiddling with papers and thinking about lunch and what we're going to be doing on Monday when we get to work and not engaged in the Word of God, not engaged in singing. When we're singing, we should be singing, and that means you should be singing and singing with gusto. I like uh, Pastor Hatting said at camp this week, you ought to be out of breath when we're through singing. You ought to be a little bit winded. That's how you know you're doing it right. Um, not participating in events. I realize churches have a lot of events, and everybody can't participate in everything. And I know all the legitimate reasons that any one of us might not do something. I'm talking about the other ones. Where it's, eh, eh, I think I'll just stay home and watch TV. Eh, I don't really like that. That's not my thing. You know what? It's our thing. Sacrifice. Be part of it. Participate. Joyfully. Uh, Pastor Hatting and I again, and I, you've heard me say this before about Summer Sanctus, about Gloria Sancta, and other things. Look, as I get older, the thought of going to camp and sleeping on an uncomfortable bed and staying up way later than my normal bedtime and getting up earlier and eating camp food, uh, that's not attractive. But I go, and when I'm done, I'm always glad I did. Really glad I did. All that stuff becomes nothing. So I can't go with how I feel in the moment. I gotta just, you, you gotta do what's your duty. You gotta do this because it's the right thing to do. And I'm part of something that's bigger than me. And it's not all about me. And it's not about what I like and don't like. It's about what we as a church are doing. Other examples of spiritual apathy. Not tithing. Not helping or serving. There's a lot goes on to keep this thing running. Setting up tables, moving chairs, cleaning dishes, taking out the trash. Some of you do a great job, and others think it's a spectator sport. It doesn't apply to you. Somehow, it's like a child at home. Somehow, the bed gets made. Somehow, the clothes get washed and put up. And somehow, the food gets cooked. Somehow, it just happens. It's fairies. And parents, I'll just put in a footnote. If you're doing those things for your kids, stop it. They need to learn how to do that. You're to teach them how to contribute to your community at home so that also when they start coming to church... Uh, and are here, they also participate there. There ought not be your dishes laying around the church grounds, your paper plates left out on the front porch for somebody else to have to pick up. That's apathy. That's saying, I don't care. I don't, that's somebody else's problem, not mine. Not speaking with or engaging others. You just hang out with your little group of friends that you talk to, that you feel comfortable with, and you don't think you have any op- You and I have an obligation to everyone in this room. 
little or no hospitality. I've taught lessons on that, and I'm not going to say more. You know, you know what I'm talking about. How about if you're rarely moved emotionally by worship or the things of God? That'd be a sign that there's some apathy there. How could you? Jesus died for you. He saved you from hell. He brought you into his kingdom, out of darkness, into light. He's given you a book full of promises and instruction because he loves you. How can you be indifferent and never be moved? That would be a sign of a problem. Rarely read your Bible. Rarely pray. I mean, other than, you know, maybe saying a blessing or whatever. Well, I think that list can probably be expanded. And the point of that list is, I hope some of you heard those things and said, hey, that's encouraging. I think I'm doing pretty good on those things. But if you if there's one or two or ten in there that you're not, then um, I would like to uh, make that softer myself, but I can't. It's, this is what the Bible says, and it has to kind of fall, like I said, when I began. Sometimes the word stings, and sometimes it, it wounds, and sometimes it heals, and sometimes it does all those things. So your engagement or lack of engagement in the church directly impacts your life and those around you, especially your family. In fact, your children are a good barometer. I just asked, do your children love the church, or is it a ho-hum to them too? If it's a ho-hum to them, they're learning that somewhere. When you love the community that Jesus loves and demonstrate that love by self-sacrifice for others, then you send the message to your family and ultimately to the world. What did Jesus say? They're going to know you're my disciples. Why? By the way you love one another. That's, how, that's the number one way to evangelize, is let people see the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it causes us to love each other and serve each other, which is the outward expression of love. You send a message to your family and ultimately to the world as to what your priorities are. You tell everyone who your God is. And so formal worship, for example, is a time when we should remind ourselves of our constant and standing duties in the light of who God is. And I use the word duty not as an oppressive thing. It's also a privilege. It's a responsibility and it's a blessing. Hopefully hopefully if you're a parent, you feel that way about your children. It's a duty. It's a burden. It's a responsibility. And it's a blessing. And it's a privilege. And it's a joy. Can't, Can't those things coexist? The Lord's Day worship should remind us that we're not only in communion with God, but that we're in communion with one another. The Lord's Day worship should also remind us that the rest of the week belongs to Him. We we come here on Sunday and do this for a few hours, but it's not so we can check the box and say we got that behind us. It's so that we'll remember that the rest of the week belongs to Him. We're not setting aside God's portion of the week We're reminding the entire family that the entire day and the entire week are his and that we're part of a larger family and a community that we have obligations to, that we represent. 
We start the Christian faith, of course, how someone's converted. What did Jesus say in Luke 14? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's the beginning. That's day one. So we live the Christian life by continuing to lay down our lives for him and for his body, which is you and me, the church. And I'm not simply talking about joining a church or coming to church, but rather the more important fact that you are the church. You are a part of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 5 uh, uh, 15 and 16, speaking the truth in love, speaking about the church, that, so that we may grow up, mature in all things into him who is the head, Jesus, from whom the whole body, that's the church, the community, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, that's you, me, according to the effective working by which every part, that's you and me, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love, the building up of itself in love. There's a lot in there. But to the degree I'm apathetic, it hurts you. To the degree that I'm zealous for the Lord and serving the Lord, it helps you. And that's true for every one of you. We're either helping or hurting, not just ourselves, but the body of Christ. Put another way, formal worship doesn't create a secular, sacred distinction. Understood in the classic Protestant fashion, it obliterates that distinction. We give one day in seven because all seven are his, We give 10% because 100% is His. Ephesians 4 gives another reason the church is so important for healthy and mature Christian lives. Verses 11 through 14, And He, Jesus Himself, this is is what He does in regard to the church. He gave some to be apostles and prophets. There's the Bible, right? Old and New Testaments. Some evangelists. And pastors and teachers, why? Why did he give those to the church? For the equipping of the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. To be translated service. So that you can serve. We're going to teach you how to serve. How to be like Jesus. For the edifying of the body of Christ. For the building up of the body. Does the church have problems? Oh boy, does it. Does your family have problems? Oh boy, does it. Does it need to be built up? It certainly does. Who's going to do it? You are. How long? Verse 13, until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Or mature man. We can stop when this is perfect. We were doing pretty good, and then like the McIntyres are going to join today, and then (laughs) now we have more work to do, right? (laughs) But we have more helpers. 
Okay? So we do it until we come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure, what's the standard? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're done when we're like Him. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried around by every wind of doctrine, every kind of teaching. How much, how much doctrine is there in the world? It is all over the place all the time. And what's going to keep you from getting blown back and forth by all of that? It's a gale. It's a storm. It's a hurricane. Tornadoes everywhere. The church, the Word of God, so that you're not children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They're out to get you. They're out to get your children. And this is the ark. This is the sanctuary. This is the safe place. It's not perfect, I know. I'm not sure. I would guess the ark had a few leaks in it that had to be fixed. And there were definitely some things that needed to be shoveled. That's true of the church. As our culture is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and taken captive by many novel notions, faithfulness to the authoritative Word of God, defended and boldly declared, remains as our greatest mission. The church is God's ark, the place of safety, preservation, and victory. The church is described as the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so the Apostle Paul admonishes Pastor Timothy and other pastors to be ready in season and out of season, again, to uh, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And he wasn't referring to Timothy's personal ups and downs, though I'm sure Timothy had those, and I know this pastor does. He was referring to the culture around him, both inside and outside the church. We're always worried about how bad the culture is getting, and it is. But our job hadn't changed. Our task hadn't changed. The mission of the church hasn't changed. And if we'll do our, if we'll do that better, then that'll get better. That's what we're called to. We're to be the salt and the light. If it's getting worse, it's because perhaps the church has grown apathetic to its task. Our steadfast commitment to the triune God and to the community of His people is critical to our victory. Victory in our personal lives, victory in the culture, because a church-friendly family is the path to transforming our culture. Apathy looks for the least I can do and still go to heaven. It plays loose, it makes excuses, and it has more important things to do. Now, In the last few minutes here, I want to shift to just point out some of the benefits of life in our community. There are clear benefits and privileges in being a member of the covenant community known as the local church. The local church is God's gift to his people for their good, just like your family. When you're born into a family, if you have a loving father and a mother and siblings, 
that is a safe, good place for you to be. Otherwise, you'd be left to yourself out on the street, uh, and that would not be good. Now, I know, exception, there are abusive families, there are abusive churches. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about faithful families and faithful churches. It is a blessing to be there. They're not perfect, but they are blessings. And it's in this context of being one part of the body that the individual part receives the blessings and benefits of being served by the other parts of the body. I, we don't, you don't have all the gifts and I don't have all the gifts. So everybody who comes brings assets and liabilities. That's the nature of a family. And those assets are to be employed and used in service of the family and those liabilities uh, God's going to use the assets of the other members of the church and the family to help you overcome those liabilities. We do take you as you are, but you don't get to stay the way you are. It's in this context that the parts of the body are nourished and built up. One of the privileges of being in, in this communion comes in the form of the sacraments of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And while baptism precedes church membership in time, it is clear that only the church may judge its proper recipients and administer the sacrament. And so it is, it's the putting on of the sign of the covenant of grace, that is baptism, which indicates that we have now been set apart. We have been made holy by God in Christ. And now we have been set apart for his special redemptive work and we have been spiritually and covenantally engrafted and into and united to what? To who? To Jesus, that mystical Jesus that's in the sky, or to the body of Christ? Or both? Jesus says this is his body. This is where he put us. This is where we find that connection with him. Is there a mystical dimension? Absolutely. Where do we see it? In flesh and blood, sitting next to us, in the pews behind us and in front of us, during the fellowship meals, when we sing together. That's the body of Christ, speaking, living, serving, sacrificing. This qualifies us for entrance into the community, that is, baptism. Having been formally declared that we are united to Christ by baptism, all members of the communion are obligated to make public profession of faith and to embrace the covenant of grace without reservation. We're going to do that this morning in membership vows. Uh, as, as a family transfers from one congregation to another because they've changed ge- geography, they're now going to attach themselves. They're going to take vows. We're going to take those same vows with them and unite ourselves together in this commitment. So new adult converts should make this profession upon their entering the covenant with the local church. All those who have received the covenant sign of baptism must likewise, as soon as God has enabled them to do so, embrace and outwardly profess that faith. Baptized church members then are entitled to join in communion with Christ and his people at the Lord's table. It's, at the Lord's, uh, it's in the Lord's Supper that we declare that we have discerned the Lord's body. We recognize this is a body. This is unique. This is something I'm now part of. It's, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm part of something 
just like when you get married, uh, there's a man and a woman who are not married, and then when they are pronounced husband and wife, something's changed. That's an understatement. Everything's changed. They may not realize it yet, but all of their relationships have changed. And that's true when we are united to Christ in the church. All of our relationships change. I have new obligations. I have new duties. I have new responsibilities, but I also have new privileges, new blessings. So in the Lord's Supper, we declare that we have discerned the Lord's body, united to him uh, with one another in his death, resurrection, and in expectation of his return. And then the community gathers around the family table for communion. And it's not so much a moment of private introspection as it is a moment of public declaration, a public moment of communion, community. We're in this together. Hallelujah. I wouldn't last long by myself. Like five minutes, maybe that'd be probably generous. Another benefit or privilege of life in our communion is pastoral care. Hebrews 13, 17, those who keep watch over your souls. Having the oversight, feeding, and protection of God's under-shepherds is a great blessing to God's people. And while they are but men, nevertheless, they are God's men, and they are his gift to his people. Indeed, they represent Christ to the congregation, and as he has an interest in his people, uh, uh, so do the shepherds of the flock. They do this through public preaching and teaching of his word and the administration of the sacraments, and they also do it through private counsel and instruction. The pastor and elders provide needed rule, help, direction, compassion, and concern for the community at all levels uh, of spiritual development. And yes, they fail too, just like parents do. So it's not... We don't want... This idea, if, if it's not perfect, if, it, if everything isn't exactly as it should be, then we're going to throw the whole thing out. Jesus is perfect. His word is perfect. He is the head of the church. This is his body. And he, what did he say he was doing for his bride, if I can change the metaphor? He laid down his life for her so that he could present her spotless and without wrinkles. Most people marry a young, beautiful bride, and then she grows old. (laughs) Jesus married an ugly bride, and he's making her more beautiful. She's getting younger. She's getting more lovely, more glorious. Um, Don't run with that analogy too far. Um, Don't quote me at home, please. Um, That was a a spontaneous one I might regret. yeah, I did. So uh, those are those are the most dangerous ones to come up with. So finally, the fellowship and the ministry of the church itself is also one of the great benefits afforded to the members of the communion. It's in the community context where we are served by others spiritually, physically, and socially. So if anybody's ever helped you unpack a box or brought you a meal or given you a ride or a pat on the back or a hug uh, or helped you clean up uh, under a high chair, um, which we're going to be doing a lot more of this coming year. Um, that is part of the benefit. 
It's in the community context then. Here we find friendship, companionship, brothers and sisters. We are prayed for, we are encouraged, we are rebuked, we are loved, we are helped, and we find those who will cry with us and rejoice with us. It's in the community that each part of the body works together for the good of every other part. In short, we find a family, the household of God. To the degree that we isolate ourselves from it, with a half-hearted or apathetic commitment, then we not only harm ourselves, but we also fail to nourish the community. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you that you put us in the church, and you did so because you believed it was good for us to be here. Forgive us where we have treated that uh, with apathy or have taken it for granted or not been zealous to nurture it and to contribute to the body and to the communion. Help us, Lord. Help us to repent where we need to repent. Help us to make progress where we need to make progress. And help us to rejoice in this good gift. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.